Welcome to the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. It's Indiana. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Unbelievable! Your daily home for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Welcome to Indiana basketball. Smart takes the shot! And the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Now here's your host, Matt Dennison. It's Indiana, what I feel is the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of all of college basketball. Hello and welcome in Thursday edition of the show. We got a busy hour today. Let's get right to it with the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Segment one, you guys know I love basketball and I've talked a lot about the TBT, the basketball tournament, a winner take all $1 million prize set up perfectly in the summertime when other basketball opportunities are slowed down. It's been a great tournament so far and here in just a few moments, John Mugar, he's the founder of the TBT. He's going to join us to talk about this year's tournament and really his overall vision and how it's really come together and taken off in recent years. Later in the show, Thursdays means Alex Bozich of Inside the Hall is with us. Mike Woodson and the IU staff four deep at the Nike EYBL Peach Jam stop yesterday to watch a couple key 2023 prospects. And it's a big, big time for recruiting, not just the coaches on the road this month, but later in the month, if you look at all of the visits, official and official uh, that are being set up by IU Targets, and we'll talk more about that with Alex as well. And then later in the hour, the Jeff GRC Little League team that has big hopes of winning the Indiana State Little League Championship and moving on to the Great Lakes Regional and who knows, maybe the Little League World Series later this summer. Their coach, Brian Hargett, will join us as they get ready to head off to Newcastle uh, later this afternoon. We'll have broadcast of those games beginning over the weekend, but we'll learn more about this Jeff GRC team that is having a lot of success so far in all-star baseball here locally. Let's get uh, That's the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Check out their dinner package deals, which are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service still available as well at Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. And let's get right to our first guest, John Mugar, the founder of the basketball tournament. John, we've had you on before. Love your idea, love your creativity, and love this great brand of basketball that are you, you're bringing to uh, basketball hoop heads like myself and others here in the state uh, in this kind of slower time for basketball. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Um, it's been hard to believe we're already in year nine now, and we had a pretty ambitious vision when we started and came up with the idea, um, Dan Friel and I, a child and Fred and I. Um, but we've grown it steadily, and we've been at the ESPN now for nine years getting more and more games on TV, more and more alumni teams are adopting it, which is helping us find increasing number of fans. So we're pretty excited by the progress. John, I want to get into this year's tournament, but first, a little history, and I know we've covered some of this in the past when you've been kind enough to join us, but eight regions this year, 64 teams, the prize is $1 million, and the winning team takes all of it. Uh, this thing has really come together. TV, fans, you've added additional regionals, you're using top-flight facilities, a lot of college arenas, and you even used Rucker Park this year. Could you believe how this thing has come together? And it seems like each year you take some big steps forward. 
We do, and we, we do take a lot of risks, too. Uh, and I think that's the important thing that, that we've learned is, um, is we, we take a ton of risk, and it's never an easy thing to do. It leads to a lot of sleepless nights. But something like Rucker Park, you know, playing there in outdoor elements for the first time on TV, I think in about 30 years, it was a huge thing for us to pull off. And from the moment we decided we wanted, wanted to do it until we could announce it, it was eight months of just behind-the-scenes angling and work through the people in New York and the Parks Department, the NBA Players Union. And, you know, our team, we're just never satisfied rolling out the same thing year in and year out, and we're always looking to innovate. Yeah, great stuff. I heard you on another radio program uh, talk about uh, Rucker Park. You use the actual court. I know you guys have it dressed up, and it's got great graphics, and it looks really good on television. And I've been there, but just during the day. It never was during a big event or a league or anything like that. It's special enough being there just taking a couple shots on your own, let alone for some big event like this. But I heard you say that uh, you went with the natural surface. You didn't bring in your own floor, uh, and that one of the goals is a little shorter than the other not the regulation height yeah and that was a, a nice surprise for me walking <laughs> walking onto the court uh the morning of the first game where i looked at one end and it was probably nine and a half feet and crooked and the other end about 10 10 feet two inches tall and i walked over to a local and said you know what's what's going on here did someone dunk on this last night and they said no no that's been the way for the same way for 30 years even before the renovation after the renovation it's called going downhill, and it's the court is sloped completely downhill into the nine and a half foot hoop, and everyone dunks on it all the time. Yeah, that's... so we it's awesome. But like we going in there, you have two options. One, you can bring in your own wood court. You can make it all purely ten feet, and in in kind of take that. My opinion takes a lot of the culture out of Rucker, or you can just go in there, play in that environment, use the elements as is, and roll it. And that's what we decided to do. John, if you're ever in southern Indiana or the Louisville, Kentucky area, in fact, later today I'll send you some photos if that's okay. I'm going to take claim that we have two of the nicest outdoor courts. Now, they don't have the history uh, that Rucker Park has. There's no question about that. But uh, one of our local parks built a uh, really nice court, uh, glass backboards, very, very nice scoreboards. And then somebody wanted to come put a cover over top of it, like an open-air outdoor cover, and it couldn't be done, so they just built another court next to it and put the cover over the second. So uh, we've had some really cool outdoor basketball here because of those nice facilities. And if you're ever in the area, just a little plug for Kevin Hammersmith Memorial Park in New Albany. you got to check that out. How tall are the rims? Uh, Ten feet. Everything's regulation. The court is striped uh, as a regulation high school court, but uh, very nice facility. We had an outdoor night, a high school summer league night, and kind of get a lot of ideas from you. In fact, we wanted to do Elam endings on some of the summer league stuff, but uh, that, that we're saving that for another year. But uh, you've been an innovator in the basketball world, so congratulations on that. I, I want to ask you about... I think one of the concepts, other than the point, the fact that it's just at a slower time for basketball, uh, so this kind of fits in the calendar nicely, one of the things that is most intriguing to me is that anybody can put a team together. Anybody can enter this tournament. Anybody can play in this tournament that is 18 and over. And I know there are some restrictions if you're in the NCAA currently or obviously an NBA player, but this is truly an open tournament for the country and maybe you could even say the world. Yeah, and actually, I know you mentioned restrictions, but we do have an active amateur NCAA player playing for the first time uh, this summer. He's a Division Three player, going to play in the D3 team tomorrow night. Uh, 
um, in Wichita. So, like, as, as the NCAA, um, I guess, evolves, you know, I think some of these some of these rules and regulations might actually free up more and more people to be able to play in TBT. And according, according to us, we just want an open format. And the original idea was, you know, if you put enough money on the table, would that be enough to kind of break through all the unions and regulations that exist in sports and get even the Lakers to come out in their team and come and play in the event against Duke, against guys from the YMCA, and just get this huge melting pot of anyone who wants to play in a massive event, which I think fans would really love. Yeah, no question. We're talking with John Mugar. He is the founder of the TBT. Uh, John, I know you're in the middle of this thing, so you're probably focused on the day-to-day operations and keeping everything on schedule and on track. But is the plan expansion? Is the plan more money? Can you give us any insight into the future of the TBT? Yeah, the concept started as a $50 million tournament that's that was the original premise and you know if, if you look at our ceiling in my mind it's march madness so if you look at those two things we have a ways to go and i mean i'm we're just our team is doing it and we've been doing it so long because we just love love it we love the players that this attracts love the fans that it attracts and we just want to keep growing and getting people to think about sports and think about basketball different and i think that our ability to be an innovator and because we're small and we can be nimble it allows us to put a very high-stakes product out there when all of these other um, very formulated and, and uh, successful entrenched properties maybe can't innovate as much as us, and they don't have the ability to do that and raise stakes. So I think we, can, we are uniquely suited to be a high-stakes basketball product. John, I know being from Indiana, we pride ourselves on being the basketball state. Can you share, uh, maybe going back to last year, a look at attendance at some of these regionals and the finals at the University of Dayton, and also television ratings? Are you getting the numbers where this thing could continue uh, as you have plans to grow and expand? Yeah, last year I think we had 5.5 million people watching uh, throughout our whole tournament, um, which was definitely a high watermark for us. Our attendance has been growing year over year, and what really kick-started that was going to Wichita State a few years ago and showing up to 7,500 people in a round one game. Um, once people saw that and you know, athletic departments across the country saw what this could be for a normally otherwise downtime in the summer, that they can get fans in there and get their season ticket holders in there and pack an arena, um, that opened up our ability to go out and get Xavier this year as a host, New Mexico, Ohio State last year. And that part's really taken off. John Mugar, he's the founder of the TBT, the $1 million winner-take-all tournament currently going on right now. Uh, regional summer concluded, others uh, still in progress, and of course the finals coming up later this month into early August at the University of Dayton. John, um, a lot of the teams, are, are I shouldn't say a lot, but some of the teams are alumni teams, meaning uh, they've got a connection of some sort to a certain school. Um, in fact, the Notre Dame alumni team won this thing back in 2014. Uh, is a Purdue team, so there's probably some interest here in our state to follow that. But I know a lot of fans, when I talk about the TBT almost daily here on the show, they say, you know, why is there not an Indiana University team with all the tradition and the interest we have in our state with basketball? And I saw an announcement some months ago uh, where there was an effort to put together an IU alumni-based team in the TBT. Do you have any insight? Can you go back? Do you, you know what happened, or did it fall apart? 
they were closer this year than ever before. And I know Mark Cuban wanted to support it as well as obviously a big IU alum and fan. Um, they just ultimately, I think they had a few injuries from their overseas European seasons that prohibited it from coming together. But the administration at IU has always been extremely friendly. Um, the AD over there in particular, we've talked to them a number of times. And my dream, I mean, I would love to put this in assembly. Um, that was one of my birthday gifts. My brother gave me a trip there and went to a game, Illinois, uh, against IU back when D Brown and, and Darren Williams were there. Um, so that was an awesome game, awesome environment. And I'd love to bring it there. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Minimaki, are they a, a team that can compete and maybe take us further into the teams this year? Uh, I know you're busy running the operations of things, but you got a couple favorites or maybe a suggestion of a game that someone that's never checked out the TBT should tune into tonight or in the next day or two? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting tomorrow. We kick off in Syracuse. Um, their, their alumni team are the defending champions, and Jimmy Beheim will be playing for Beheim's Army. Um, he just graduated. Um, and tomorrow we also kick off Wichita State. And they have not only Wichita State alumni, but also Kansas State alumni, which I believe they just announced Michael Beasley as playing for them along with Jacob Pullen. So if the, those two teams could be on a collision course in round three um, if they both win. And, you know, that would be kind of another high watermark for us if, if that happens. But, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of hard to miss over the next couple of weeks on ESPN. So, Anytime, love to see introduce our product to a new fan. Absolutely, and I think a group of us are going to come up to Dayton for a couple of days. July twenty eighth through August second is when the uh, the finals of the TBT will take place. I think Dayton has kind of been a hub for you guys, and you've had some really good turnouts there in past years. Is that right? Yeah, and it started because just as a, I'm, I live in Boston, um, but I'm a huge basketball fan. Of course, I knew about the first four and their ability to draw fans you know, without necessarily having a home team there. And so that, to me, suggested it's a great basketball market. So last year was our first year in Dayton, um, and they showed out and did well. So I think we wanted to come back, definitely, for sure. And they're going to be hosting a round one game for Dayton alumni this year, which should be electrifying as well. Yeah, great stuff. All right, John Mugar, he's the founder and director of the basketball tournament, the TBT, $1 million. The winning team takes it all, and you can catch it all over the ESPN platform of channels here over the next few weeks. John, I know it's a busy time. Uh, always enjoy this annual conversation leading up to or during the TBT. Keep up the great work. You are doing great stuff for basketball, uh, probably more so than what you even know. We appreciate your efforts. Thanks, Matt. I'll see you in Dayton. All right, sounds good. John Mugar with us here. Always interesting to catch up with him. And this TBT, if you're a basketball fan and you're jonesing a bit here in the offseason, I know we've got all the recruiting stuff to talk about, and there's a ton of stuff to get to today with Mike Woodson and the coaches out. Uh, the first day of evaluation period, this last period, began yesterday. But this TBT has been a good filler. It's, it's really high-quality basketball, a number of names that you'll either know who they are or you'll recognize their name and a simple Google search will bring back all kind of memories to their college uh, and or professional days but uh, great stuff and uh, look forward to following it the rest of the way and I encourage you uh, to check it out and hopefully hopefully there would be uh, there will be a TBT team uh, representing IU 
in uh, in future seasons. And you know, you would think Kentucky and Louisville, uh, and of course, Purdue with a team now for a few seasons, you would think they would get in the mix and bring a lot more local interest to this thing, uh, given how we love our basketball here in this area. That's John Mugar of the TBT here in segment number one. A reminder: the Thornton's text line is open. That number five zero two four one four. 1450 again 502414-1450 it's summer cash bash at Thornton's and that means each week one lucky refreshing rewards member will win $10,000 all summer with a grand prize of a 2022 Chevy Tahoe simply open your refreshing rewards app and click on the summer cash bash icon to enter and that's not all you can earn additional entries by purchasing select top brands like Mountain Dew 20 ounce bottles hot dogs Bud Light 12 packs large Doritos and much more using your refreshing Rewards card. It's Thornton Summer Cash Bash. If you're not a Refreshing Rewards member, it's no problem. All you got to do is send the word rewards to the number 80313. That's rewards to 80313. We'll head to a commercial break. We're back with Alex Bozich of Inside the Hall, Mike Woodson, and the IU staff. A big, big appearance down at the Peach Dam yesterday, and lots of visits coming up here over the next few weeks once this live basketball viewing opportunity comes to a close really some big weeks ahead for IU to get some of these key prospects on campus we'll talk about that next with Alex here on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison we're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison let's win this in for all the small schools never had a chance to get here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach. You got us here. Here's Matt Dennison. And we're back on this Thursday program. Alex Bozich inside the hall. My guest, the Thornton's text line is 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. Alex, I know there is a lot of talk right now about where Coach Woodson and the staff are at, some of the key prospects that they really seem to be honing in on here uh, in these July evaluation periods. But uh, before we get into that, I want to look ahead because if you're tracking everything on a calendar as far as who has said they're going to take visits to Bloomington and win. Uh, the next few weeks, once the July basketball comes to a close, they're going to be really big recruiting weeks for Indiana because they're going to have a lot of prospects on campus. That includes 2023 guys who are probably close to making their decision or at least making some list cuts. And even some younger, really key players are going to be in Bloomington coming up as well. Yeah, I think from the 2023 class, things are setting up really nicely for Indiana. We talked about before, Matt, them having two commitments already in hand. It's allowed them to be a little bit more selective uh, in who they're going to recruit. And I think really at this point, when you're looking at 2023, you've got a core list of guys, five guys to be exact, that I think Indiana is really uh, you know, making a push for. And three of those guys, in fact, are going to be on campus uh, next week for visits. Early next week, you're going to have Jamie Kaiser, the wing uh, from the East Coast, who is you know known as a shooter. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that maybe Indiana was going to make a, a stronger push for Cohen Carr, um, but I think they're prioritizing shooting a little bit more with that spot, and they've made a concerted effort uh, with Jamie Kaiser, and they're going to have him on campus. In the middle of next week, they're going to have Aaronson Page, 
uh, the big man from down in Georgia. Uh, he's going to be on campus. Uh, I think he's a, obviously a key target, uh, given what they're likely to lose in the front court uh, this offseason. Uh, they're going to need help there, and I think he's a big piece uh, potentially for them. And, and he was their first, or Indiana was his first uh, high major offer, and I think that's going to mean something uh, when it comes down to the stretch with him. And, and he's probably a little bit closer uh, to decision-making mode as the summer ends. And then to close off the week next week, they're going to have Deshaun Harris-Smith, uh, the the guard from Team Takeover, which uh, is a program that Indiana successfully recruited in the past. If you remember Victor Oladipo's from that program, uh, he's a guard um, that you know they're, they're looking to add another guard in this class. And I think the reason for that is there could be some attrition this off season. Obviously, uh, Xavier Johnson will be moving on, Miller Cop, uh, and who knows what happens with some of the younger players. Let's say it's Mark Bates or Jalen Hutchinson really has a, a great season and has a chance to test the professional options. I think that's a position that you want to be prepared for. So those three guys all going to be on campus next week, a huge week for recruiting for Indiana. And then the following week, uh, they'll have Jalen Harrelson uh, and Trent Sisley, the two uh, class of 2025 in-state prospects uh, for unofficial visits. Uh, and to have them on campus uh, when they're when they're going to have them on campus, you know, they're really the first time that 2025 can get on campus for visits. Uh, I, I think that's going to be uh, – you know, a big deal and impactful to let those guys know how big priorities they are. And, and uh, you know, obviously there's a long way to go in both of those recruitments, but Indiana is, is doing all it can uh, to set themselves up for uh, future success with those guys. Yeah, the uh, summer obviously we think of evaluation opportunities for coaches, but getting players on campus, especially I think uh, IU fans should be encouraged to hear that Jalen Harrelson and Trent Sicily, two guys that are only going to be sophomores, whose recruitments are both blowing up. They're getting lots of offers, lots of looks this month. They're going to be in Bloomington, as you mentioned, the very first opportunity that they possibly can. And that is more of a statement probably by IU uh, than anything else. But to keep in-state guys at the forefront, even as young prospects, is so very important. So often uh, longevity can pay off in recruiting. For sure. Um, We don't see early commitments as as commonly as we used to in the past. I can remember – a few years after I started doing this, we had, you know, Indiana got Trey Lyles and James Blackman Jr. to commit really, really early in the process. And obviously one of those ended up working out, but the, the second one did not. But I think with the in-state guys, given the proximity to campus, it makes sense to have those, have basically an open-door policy for those guys and say, anytime you want to come to campus, we're, we're uh, going to be here uh, for you. We, we want you to come see the school as much as possible. We want to build those relationships we want you to be comfortable with the staff and the players, and we want to show you uh, how important you are to us. And to have those guys on campus uh, early in August, uh, as you said, and, and you know, I said, made note of that's really the first time they're going to have a chance to, to visit um, in terms of uh, this summer. Uh, I think it's a big deal to get them on on campus. And like like you said, there's a lot going on with those guys. They're getting a lot of looks this summer. They'll have a bunch of new offers, but I think when you're, you know, a local school uh, and you prioritize a kid early, coupled with potential success here in the next couple of years for Indiana basketball on the court, you set yourself up for having a good chance at both guys. 
Alex Bozich inside the hall with us here on this Thursday program. Uh, the IU coaches out yesterday, like so many others across the country, Wednesday through Sunday, the final evaluation period uh, in this month of July. And no surprise that Woodson and all three assistants, so four IU coaches in one building, uh, going hard after some key recruits yesterday. They made a big appearance down at the Peach Dam. I, I kind of looked at it as statements by them to show uh, a couple prospects that were playing with their Nike teams how much they're wanted. Yeah, I mean, T.J. Power was the one uh, that kind of caught my eye. I've got him, obviously, in my you – know, I mentioned five guys that they're really hard after. You know, the three guys that I mentioned taking visits next week and then Xavier Booker uh, as well as T.J. Power. Uh, the difference with Power is Indiana doesn't have a visit set up with him. Uh, they're hoping to, I think, have him on campus potentially in August, but – a little bit different with him in that his recruitment has really blown up. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you've made mention of the fact that Duke's offered, North Carolina's offered, Kansas has offered, UCLA has offered, and he already had a strong list of schools that included the likes of Notre Dame, Virginia, uh, and a few others uh, that were making him priorities. So there's a long, long list of, of schools uh, that want TJ Power, but Indiana showed up. Uh, to watch him, and uh, I don't think that they're going to go out. They're just going to fold their cards and go home in this recruitment. They're going to uh, see what they can do in terms of uh, making an impact there and uh, you know, seeing uh, what his interest level is and hopefully uh, get him on campus and, and see where it goes from there. Yeah, T.J. Power also yesterday, Deshaun Harris-Smith, seemed to be two that IU really focused in on. We've heard so much about T.J. Power. IU's been recruiting him for a while, and boy, his recruitment has blown up, as you mentioned. Deshaun Harris-Smith, more of a, a newer prospect on the radar, but he sure had a lot of IU coaches viewing his games this month. Yeah, they didn't offer him until July 9th, but they've it's been a, basically a full-court press Um since that time, uh, I think he's got a little less familiarity with the Indiana program than a couple of the other guys that we've talked about, but uh, he's going to get familiar with things um, when he takes a visit next week. Uh, my understanding is, is that he may want to make a decision at some time uh, in August, and so uh, it could be uh, the perfect time to get him on campus and make a strong impression. You've got the ties to team takeover. Uh, not only Victor Oladipo came from team takeover, but guys like Maurice Creek, I believe, and Stanford Robinson. Uh, just to name a few that, that came from that program. And I know Kenya Hunter has strong ties uh, to that area of the country. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, this could be an instance where Indiana makes kind of a late entry to a recruitment but also has a chance to finish strong and to have him on on campus. And I think they're setting the tone really well by watching this closely uh, as they have. The thing that's really stood out to me when you look at what he's been able to do in the EYBL is, not only can he score, but his points and you know, his assists, or his rebounding and his assist numbers have been strong. There have been several games where he's come close to a triple-double. Uh, so he looks like a really versatile and well-rounded player. Haven't had a chance to see him uh, in person, plan to watch some film here in the next couple of days to get a better feel for his game. But he looks like a guy uh, that people should definitely should be excited about. 
Alex, uh, for these 2023 guys that are going to be making visits, you mentioned you know maybe that uh, Harris wanted to make a decision in August. There's no definite time frame that this stuff has to happen uh, within. And obviously, look at Gabe Cups. I mean, he's already made his decision and did so very early. So there could be some outliers as well. But uh, what is the typical time frame from a guy that's going to be a senior uh, after the evaluation periods and after they've made some visits? Do most make their decision leading up to the high school season? Is it only the really top-tier players that take that decision on into the high school season or maybe even into the spring after their high school season? I think it just it's a case-by-case basis. I think you have some kids who have been going through this now for two years, year and a half, getting calls all the time, talking to coaches, building relationships. They may be be a little bit more likely to want to go ahead and get the process over with. There's some kids that like the process. I mean, kids that are just kind of blowing up now for the first time and really getting a ton of interest, they may want to take a little bit longer because they haven't built those relationships. And they may be getting, in the case of TJ Power, I mean, the fact that Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, and Kansas have all just offered in recent weeks, it's really hard to build a relationship in that short of time. So he may want to take his time and, and see some, some places and get a better feel for everything um, before making a decision. Uh, I think it's just, it just depends on the kid. Um, but I, I do think it's better for Indiana to have these visits after the July evaluation period rather than before because, you know, you may get a kid. Kids are now kind of, I think, shifting from – being focused on the AAU season and Peach Jam or the Adidas Circuit or Under Armour, whatever they're playing, and they may be looking forward to, all right, what's up next for me? I've got to go back to school here soon. I've got stuff that's going to be starting up with my high school team. I've got recruiting. Do I want to go ahead and get things out of the way, figure out where I want to go so I can just enjoy my senior season at my school, or do I want to let this play out a little bit longer? And I think, you know, we've seen more and more early decisions, I think, uh, in recruiting in terms of summer decisions it used to be i remember uh in years past you'd have a lot of uh guys going later in the fall almost up to the early signing day and there'd be a lot of drama this year with indiana specifically already having those two commitments and these visits coming up we could be in a situation where you know by late august early september indiana's class is, is done and accounted for and there's not a lot of drama but I, I think for the kids and the coaches in a lot of cases that's probably a, the preferred way to go uh if you know where you want to go you know where you're comfortable going uh go ahead and pull that trigger and make the decision and, and for the coaches that go ahead and have the um you know the class wrapped up and kind of know uh what, what you have coming in not to sweat it out uh going into signing day i think that's preferred too especially if you can land your top targets and, and then move on into 2024, 2025, and beyond. Alex, we had a chance earlier this week to hear from Jordan Geronimo. I don't know if there's any question. He's one of the more intriguing players coming back on this IU roster for the upcoming season. He talked a lot about his plans for the summer and his hopes for next season as well. What were your takeaways from what Jordan had to say about where he sees himself fitting in and maybe making some changes to his game to increase his ability to help this team and obviously get more playing time? I mean, just a lot of talk from him about versatility and being able to play in multiple positions. I think the question for me, I don't have a question that he can guard multiple positions. Uh, I'm still a little bit skeptical that he can play the three with any regularity. Uh, hasn't really shown a consistent perimeter stroke. 
uh, and the ball handling and the ball skills are, are more in line with a guy who plays uh, the four or the five than, than with the three. But it sounds like it's definitely something he's been working on. Uh, really, the, the biggest thing that stood out to me is kind of asking a question about why he came back. And I think maybe the reason for that question was you look at the position that he's at, and he's still kind of blocked by Trace Jackson Davis and Ray Thompson. And he said it was all about Mike Woodson and the fact that he wants to be a part of a program that wins at a high level and goes after a Big Ten championship and he trusts the coaches. That, to me, says he's a little bit more worried about the team aspect of it than the individual. And I think that's a really good mindset and a really good good thing to have within your program. There are a lot of guys probably in Jordan Geronimo's situation that would have gone into the portal and looked and said, hey, I can go to this school and they're going to give me 35 minutes a game and I'm going to be a focal point. I may have really good stats, but I'm not going to be as part, a part of a, uh, a team that wins at a high level. Um, and that's what the goal of some kids is. But with Geronimo, uh, I don't know how big of a change in his role there's going to be this season. I think he'll play a little bit more. I don't think he's going to be start, starting regularly or a guy who's going to have a, a hugely expanded role. But I think he's going to try to be better in the role that he does have and, and make himself uh, a guy that Mike Woodson can't keep on the bench and has to play uh, and be the guy that, that we saw in the NCAA tournament first four game against Wyoming more often. Uh, and then he kind of forces his way into the conversation. And I think the, the more quality depth that you can have, if, if your goal is to win the Big Ten championship and advance into the tournament, you've got to have guys six, seven, and eight on the bench that can come in and, and really, you know, skip a beat. And I think in Jordan Geronimo, they could potentially have that. So I was just impressed with his maturity and kind of the things he was talking about. He definitely seemed like a guy uh, who's selfless and, and just more worried about the team than he is his individual uh, statistics and, and his career. Alex Bozich inside the hall. He joins our show on Thursdays as we talk IU basketball and college sports. And I want to talk about more of a general issue to close out today. Uh, it looks like the NCAA, the Division One Council that makes changes and updates rules, is headed toward transfer portal windows, windows where there would be, for football and basketball specifically, two different periods within the calendar that players could enter the portal and uh, make a decision to leave leave their respective school from the current or previous season. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe give your thoughts on adding windows to this crazy transfer portal uh, that continues the, the number of players entering uh, each offseason continues to rise, and it's really been one of the major, major changes in college football and basketball here recently? I think it's just a compromise if it happens to try to maybe, I, I don't want to say, um, rein things in, but at least you have kind of a more structure to to what goes on from the player perspective. Okay, this is like my time when I can actually do this and move. And from a coaching perspective and a program perspective, all right, this this is the time of year that we know that the guys could potentially leave. We have to prepare for that. I think that does make some sense because the, the way that it's been going uh, the last couple of years. Um, has been, uh, I think, chaotic for, for both players and for, for programs and coaches. So I think if you can have a little bit more structure to it, I think it's going to be a net positive uh, for uh, the sport. And um, obviously I think it's a great thing that they're going to continue to have the transfer portal and let this freedom of movement uh, continue uh, in college sports, not just basketball, but football and all the other sports. I think it's, it's a good thing. And I don't think it's always a good thing for players to just – 
jump at the best opportunity or, or leave when things get tough. I don't think that really teaches anything in terms of how life really works outside of uh, when you're when your playing career is over, there's going to be adversity and whatever whatever you do. But I do think having a little bit more structure and a little bit more, um, you know, guidance in terms of when these things can happen uh, is good for both the teams, uh, the coaches, and, and the players uh, to do that because otherwise you run into situations where it's just really chaotic and uh, it, it feels like uh, there's – at times it's been a little bit uh, out of control, and I, think, I don't think that was the, the intended purpose. So to, to kind of rein it back in, so to speak, I think it's a positive. Alex Bozich inside the hall. Alex, in the first segment today, we had on John Mugar, who founded the TBT, the $1 million tournament. I've had a chance to watch a little bit of it on and off over the last week or so. You see a lot of alumni teams, and I know we mm-hmm. talked about an IU alumni team was a possibility. Uh, it was mentioned earlier uh, this spring, and it never materialized. But uh, can't you imagine a TBT with a group of IU alumni? I think they would get a ton of support both at the games and on television, and I think it would kind of help while the coaches are on the road recruiting. I know we've got all the recruiting stuff to talk about, and there never anymore seems to be a dull moment in sports or college sports specifically, but can you imagine having an IU TBT team to follow and watch in, in this time of year? I think it would be a great thing for IU basketball. I think so, too. Um, I think there was, you know, I listened to your to your first segment in the interview. I think from talking to the, per, you know, the people that were trying to uh, organize that team. I think they're like, what your guest in the first segment there said was true. This is as close as they've been. I just think there was a couple. Uh, there was a couple of key commitments that they had, and then uh, some of the overseas guys had some issues. And I, I think you know it, it's easy to get a couple commitments, but you really have to have a team of seven to eight strong. I don't think they have the numbers yet. I think it's going to be something that's going to be continued. To be explored uh, in the coming years, um, you know, it'd be good. Uh, I think for the program to have something, and and I, I love the idea of potentially having games at Assembly Hall. Uh, imagine having an Indiana team there, and, and you know, IU fans are obviously. Uh, if you remember back to back in the day, Matt, where they had the barnstorming tour across the state, uh, they would there would be fans showing up all over the state, you know, watching the incoming freshman play. Uh, can you imagine uh, if they got the right guys on the team and they had a really good team, uh, games being hosted in Assembly Hall with uh, an IU team, what kind of interest that would uh, give uh, for the program in, in July or August? I think it would be a great thing. So hopefully that's something they can continue to work on and, and move towards here in the coming years. I think they will. I just think it's hard, uh, when, especially when you're dealing with guys coming from Europe and playing in, in different leagues around the world. Uh, getting everyone's schedules to line up. There's got to be a lot of organization and a lot of commitment from the guys uh, in order to do it. You can't just show up and have, like, one practice and then expect to go out and win. I mean, this is a serious event that's been going on for eight, nine, ten years now, and there's a lot of money and and resources on the line. And uh, if you're going to do it, you want to do it the right way. And I think eventually if it does happen, I think that's what we'll do. All right, good stuff. Let's hope it happens. Alex Bozich, Inside the Hall. At Inside the Hall on Twitter, a great follow. Alex, thank you so much. We'll talk next Thursday. All right, Matt. Have a great week. Thank you. All right. We will head to a commercial break. Back to talk some local sports. You know we love to do that as well on this program. The Jeff GRC 12-year-old Little League team, they won the always competitive District 5 tournament a few weeks ago, and they are headed to Newcastle for the state tournament 
play begins Friday. Our broadcasts begin over the weekend. And Brian Hargett, the manager of the Jeff GRC team, will join us in the next segment here on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. You know, a basketball hero around here is treated like a god. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Here's Matt Dennison. I'll tell you what, locally, one of the highlights of sports in the summer has been Little League Baseball and Softball. We have had so many good teams in recent years that have made runs to the state tournament, won some state championships, a lot of them, in fact. And even at this 12-year-old division, that's the main division of Little League Baseball and Softball, uh, went on to the Great Lakes Regional, and we've had teams make it all the way to the Little League World Series. Of course, the baseball in Williamsport, that's on ESPN later in the summer. And this year, the Jeff GRC 12-year-olds from Jeff GRC Little League, they're looking to uh, cement their own legacy because they won the always competitive District 5 tournament a few weeks ago, and they're headed out to Newcastle, Indiana later today, and the team will begin play in a double elimination bracket starting on Friday. And the Big X will be there beginning over the weekend. If Jeff wins on Friday, we'll be there for their Sunday game, and if they were to drop that Friday game, they'll play Saturday, and we'll be there for that. So a lot of Little League Baseball state tournament coverage coming up here on the Big X starting in just a few days from now. Brian Hargett is the manager of the Jeff GRC team, and he's with me right now. Coach, first off, congratulations. It's been a great summer so far. Jeff GRC, one of the great traditional Little Leagues in the state of Indiana, and congratulations on being the latest to head off to the state tournament. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, Really appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this team. Coach, they had a nice run in the district tournament, but you also faced some good competition there, which can help you this week in Newcastle. Take us back to your district tournament over at New Albany and tell us the path to success uh, for your ball team. Uh, yeah. Um, as you mentioned, you know, District 5 is, uh, I think, one of the best districts in the state of Indiana. Uh, having won. Uh, five out of the last six state titles uh, coming from District 5 with New Albany and Silver Creek, the last two. So um, we knew we had to, uh, uh, you know, to play very good baseball against New Albany and Silver Creek, both very competitive teams, very strong pitching. Um, you know, we've we've gotten beaten in the past. Uh, you know, last year, New Albany beat us 11 to nothing in the championship. Um, so we knew we had our work cut out for us. But, um, you know, we had strong pitching as well this year. You know, uh, Braden Bachman uh, pitched two games against New Albany, one hitters in both games, um, throws the ball really hard, um, I'd say around 70, 72 range. Um, so he, he kind of shut down that offense of New Albany, and we were able to, uh, you know, put the bat on the ball and get some hits off their star pitchers. Um, you know, we pounded out um, 10 hits in, in Game two, uh, the victory, uh, four to nothing in that one. It was a, a very good game, zero uh, zero all the way to the sixth inning, and we were able to put up four runs. Uh, but we did have ten hits in that one. And uh, the first game, we actually had nine hits 
in, in that game. So uh, we, we were able to hit the ball very well against them uh, and beat them in the first game 8-2. to two. Um, Silver Cook, another strong team, uh, they actually beat us the first time we played them 6-5. to five. Uh, We did have five errors in that game. Aiden Toler was the pitcher, um, but only gave up one earned run. So we knew that, um, you know, once we got past New Albany, we knew that if we played solid defense and if we pitched the ball well again, that we could win that game. Um, and, and we did that. Then the first uh, championship game, we won four to nothing. Aiden Toler again pitched and was lights out again. Um, we were able to get some good key hits off their star pitcher and uh, and put up runs. So the second championship game, um, same thing. Uh, we had great pitching from Derek Haynes. Um, and Carter Smith uh, come in the last inning to close the door. We were able to win six to one. Um, so uh, very good pitching throughout the district for us, and um, outscored our oppo- outscored our opponents twenty seven to nine, um, and, and hit the ball very well. So uh, I think if we can do that um, again in state, um, we'll, we'll be fine. That's a really good summary of the Jeff GRC team and their success at the District 5 tournament. Of course, now headed off to the state tournament at Newcastle. Coach, I know this came up the other night. I was at one of your practices. But I think the parents and the players, and I know you as a Little League guy, baseball guy, understand the reputation District 5 in our area has in Little League baseball and softball for being very competitive. There's going to be a real target on your back right out of the gate there at Newcastle. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was speaking with uh, the president up there at Newcastle the other day. Um, he, he told me, you know, we always know District 5 is going to bring uh, a great baseball team. So, you know, the history's there. Um, there is going to be a target on our backs. Um, somebody did a uh, prediction uh, of the tournament. They've got us going to the championship game. So um, we know it's going to be a, a tough road, uh, and it should be. You know, your, your top 10 teams in the state. Um, they should be very good. So uh, I think it's going to come down to pitching and timely hitting. And, um, you know, the scouting report that I have on Hagerstown is they got a kid that throws in the 70s as well. So, um, you know, we're going to have to be on time when we hit and uh, and hit that fastball. And we're going to have to, you know, try to get him rattled a little bit and um, and get some runs on the board for our pitchers. Jeff GRC will begin, as Coach said, against Hagerstown coming up on Friday. Our coverage will begin over the weekend. Jeff would play Saturday if they do not win the first game on Friday. And if they do win, as we hope they do and plan that they do, we'll be there Sunday to begin our coverage of the state tournament and this Jeff GRC team. Coach, as we close out today, we want to send you a lot of well wishes. We look forward to being with you a little bit later in the week at Newcastle. I'd like you to talk for a moment as as we wrap up about the support that you've had from the community and once again just an outpour whether it's been financial support or just support uh, and cheering along uh, these boys as they represent their community and now southern indiana yeah Matt. i mean the the support of the community has just been unbelievable um you know uh, from the city uh we we attended the city council meeting on monday and uh you know they they approved some money for us that's going to really help out the families. Um, you know, attorney Larry, Larry Wilder uh, matched that, um, you know, so our families are not going to have to pay for a hotel room down there, which is, which is pretty awesome. And that's what we wanted. We didn't want them to have to spend money out of their pockets. Um, you know, we've had sponsors, um, you know, to be able to cover the radio, the radio coverage from you guys, which we appreciate. 
Um, so we we really appreciate all the all the support. The mayor's been great. Um, as you said, this is the 12 year old division. This is the mecca of Little League baseball. So this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, these kids are excited. Um, they're ready to go. We're ready to go. We're hungry. We're going to practice a little bit today, just a light workout, and uh, we're going to head out uh, later on uh, today. All right, Brian Hargett. Coach, best of luck. We'll see you in Newcastle. Thank you very much. That's going to wrap things up for this Thursday program. Back with you Friday at 11 a.m. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.